0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky's Superfans. I'm Bob Swirsky, sitting in for my brother Bill, who's recovering from his most recent heart attack. And with me, as always, are the superfans, Pat Arnold. Hey, Bob. Carl Wolerski, Hey, Bob. And Todd O'Connor. How are you, Bob? Real good coming to you as always from Dicka's restaurant in Chicago, IL, birthplace of the baby back rib, and home to a certain undefeated team which come January shall be hosting, hoisting a certain Super Bowl trophy over its collective head, a team that is known as the Bears. The Bears. Bears.
1: Gentlemen, the Bears versus the Horde of Warhoon.
0: Should be a surprisingly low scoring affair. So your pick? Bears 31 to negative uh, seven.
1: Bears. Those warhoons are like giants,
0: you know. Bears 79 zip. Oh really? You you don't think that the giants will score? No, I do not. The Bears defense is like a wall. You can't go through. Alright, how about you, Carl? Bears
1: 52, Warhoons 14.
0: Oh, what come man?
1: I'm sorry, but with four arms, I think the Warhoons catch a few passes and make it a
0: game. Now, gentlemen, let me ask you this. What if the Bears were all 14 inches tall, you know, about, about so high?
1: Shrunk down by the Ant-Man, huh?
0: Now, what's your score of today's game? Against the Giants? Yes, give my a handicap. Bears 18, Giants 10. And that would finally be a good game. That would be a good game. Mini Bears 24, Giants 14. What about Ditka? Would he be Mini 2? No, he would be full grown. Oh, then uh, Mini Bears 31, Giants 7. Well, hold on. and I changed mine too. I thought it was a Mini Ditka. What's up, Bears?
1: Bears. Dateline Jessum is next on the Gridley Wave Network.
2: Chicago Bureau of the Bostonian Blade.
1: Date Mind The Pantheon Press Production. For fans of Edgar Allan Spurrows and Pulp Adventure. Here's your host, Elmo. Welcome to show number 20. Thank you for listening. And before we get into this uh, week's episode of Dateline Jesum, I wanted to share with you a little bit of a show that I've been listening to. It's an old 1950s uh, science fiction radio show called X-1. And I'll explain why I wanted to play this bit
0: in, in a second. Countdown for blast off: X-5, 4, 3... X minus 1,
1: fire. The episode I was listening to has to do with an astronaut that goes up into space and encounters some aliens who tell him that if Earth doesn't clean up its act, they will destroy the planet. Kind of along the lines of uh, the
0: day the Earth stood still. Tonight's story, The Outer Limit, by Graham Doar. They fixed it so that if we set off
2: one more nuclear explosion, we will have had it. Of course, of course. Now, don't roll your sleeve down. You don't believe me? Now take it easy, Steve. But the test they're setting off, the Cosmic Ray bomb, Hank, tonight, what time is it?
0: 11.20. It's scheduled for midnight. I think we've got to stop that bomb. Let Donaldson give you the hypos. You've got to believe me. I saw them. I got the warning. If we touch
2: off the Q-bomb tonight, we'll be the biggest galactic 4th of July of all time. The whole Earth will go up like a Roman candle. April 10th, 1965, the end. Look, Steve, you better calm down
0: now.
1: Well, I'm not usually amused by total annihilation of the Earth, except when it happens on the day that I was born.
2: The whole earth will go up like a Roman candle. April 10th, 1965, the end. Look.
1: Today we have a little bit of what I consider fan fiction. Uh, It is another presentation from the ECOF convention. Uh, Yes, I know I'm getting more material than I uh, should be out of that ECOF, but all the presentations were really good, so I'm going to keep playing them. And in this one, J.G. Huck Huckinpolar, who most fans know as his persona, of Professor Porter, which is, of course, as you know, Jane's father, uh, sort of did some speculation about uh, Professor Archimedes Q. Porter and what his backstory would be. And I thought it was really interesting, and Huck uh, gave a little presentation on uh, that speculation.
2: Some of you are are familiar with the uh, short pastiche, uh, not really pastiche because Burroughs wrote it himself. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs Tells All which was published in Rob Wagner's script magazine in the 30s in which he creates for himself this fictional biography where he was uh, raised in the the imperial court in in China and escaped from the the, uh, Dowager Empress and was captured by gypsies and all sorts of adventures. Uh, when I took on the persona of Tarzan's father in law, I started thinking about what is the background of this character. We're not told an awful lot about him in the books. He starts out as a cardboard figure, the absent minded professor. And as I read and reread, I began to piece together what sort of a person. Archimedes 2 Porter must have been. What was was the background that led to this fellow who showed up on the coast of Africa in February of 1909? And uh, there's one key paragraph in Apes, page 210. Look here, skinny philander. If you're looking for a scrap, peel off your coat, come down here on the ground, and I'll punch your head just as I did 60 years ago in the alley back, back of Forty Evans barn So, from that, what do we know about Archimedes Q. Porter? We know he's a professor. We know that he's known Philander from childhood. We know he's an ordained minister. We know that his wife was from Wisconsin and she was also named Jane. We know she died young. We are, we can strongly suspect in nineteen oh nine he was approximately seventy, which means he would have been born somewhere around eighteen forty. Therefore it's likely he fought in the war between states, probably on the Confederate side. <laughs> we get the we get the impression from that, uh, conversation with Skinny Philander. He probably led a pretty wild youth before he got religion. We can we can uh, Calculate that he was probably a professor of history because of the discussion of the Moors in Spain that he was having when they were chased by the lion. (laughs) And this this I get from DJ, by the way. The where is he a professor? Probably Goucher College. It's it's a girls' school right outside Baltimore. We can we can predict that his wife but we can imagine that his wife probably spoke a brand of German that was unintelligible in Germany. Remember, Jane tells Tarzan, "You understand my German as well as it did in Berlin," which, to me, says she spoke what I grew up c- calling Minnesota Deutsch. It's a dialect spoken only in the Midwest and probably is fewer than half a dozen people that understand it now. Certainly my cousins in Germany laugh whenever I speak it. So beyond that, I I went to speculation. Uh, And this is pure conjecture on my part. There is absolutely no direct evidence in favor of it. Uh, He grew up in Richmond. He's a Southerner. Maryland stayed in the Union. Therefore, if he was in the Confederate Army, he was probably in a Virginia regiment. In this article that I have done for the ERB, the second century, I have postulated that he and a cousin from nearby, right outside Richmond, enlisted together, fought together, and at the end of the war, headed west to Prospect for gold, got as far as Mexican border, got captured by bandits, was carried off, served served under Maximilian, And when when the Austrian troops were pulled out of of Mexico in 1866, probably went back to Austria. Would have fought in the German Civil War. Ended up in Baltimore uh, after having been rescued by the American consul in Berlin. And probably fought in the Indian Wars in the West. The last Big Sioux uprising took place when my grandfather was 12 years old, 1876. Uh, this covered southern Minnesota and northwestern Wisconsin. At this time, he would have been rescued by a farmer, taken home, nursed back to health. While, while he's in Wisconsin, staying with this farmer, the wife gives birth to a baby girl. 20 years later he's a professor At Goucher College One of his students turns out to be the daughter Of this couple from Wisconsin We know she's a lot younger than he is We we know the wife has to have been A lot younger than than Professor Porter He's probably 50 She's 20 when they marry She dies within a couple Within a few years Because he says in in Apes uh, that she's been gone almost 20 years whether she died in childbirth or soon after. I don't want to give away the whole thing, but I'm, this is, these, are, these are the specula- sort of speculations that I'm putting together in my Archimedes' Cube order tells all. I'd like, I'd like any additional suggestions that people can come up with.
0: I was curious when you said that uh, you concluded that he was probably a professor of history uh, and I go back to the fact that him or Philander one had to identify the skeleton in the cradle. And in my opinion, an anthropologist would discuss history more openly than a historian would be able to determine whether a skeleton was an anthropoid ape or a human. So, you know, I always presumed that uh, Porter was into anthropology. Interesting.
2: He could also Good. have been an archaeologist could be. In which case he could identify bones.
0: Well, I'm either one, either one, either one. Is extremely specialized. Uh-huh.
2: More anthropology than archaeology. I doubt, I mean, I'm not
0: totally sure about this, but professional anthropology is a pretty recent invention. Yeah, it used to be part of archaeology. They do, they yeah, cultural professions are not not highly, you know,
2: did They did not have the degree of specialization they have
0: today. In, in any event, the point that I'm trying to make is that I think being able to identify the bones is more out of the realm of the layperson than discussing history. I can discuss history, but I couldn't begin to tell you where a bone comes from if I
2: looked at it. No, but if you saw a complete skeleton, you could you could tell whether it was a, per, a human or an ape.
0: Well, no, apparently the scary. members of the party couldn't. I mean, the, the it, no, who else? Who the else, else examined it closely? Nicely. Well, I don't know the I don't know if it was real specific in the book. I do remember that everybody was presuming that it was an infant and that the the two professors <laughs> surprised me. Uh, I mean, they knew that it wasn't, and they didn't think it was important enough to mention to anybody else, apparently. They just kept it to themselves until people started getting curious. Or I, I don't remember exactly how it went, but I do remember that, in general, everybody just presumed it was a kid, and uh, the anthropologists, or the... Professors knew better, but just didn't say anything. One of the biggest forms of, of uh, specialization was naturalists at that time. Frame. Oh. Just a naturalist, somebody who examined nature. Yeah. Uh, that much more likely. Ernest
2: Thompson Seton. Yeah, they,
0: they would have everything. Or Ernest so Seton Thompson, as he's called in Canada. Things, yeah. Like the Latin name for.
2: I think that's fairly general, <laughs> but but you're right that uh, the 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 fact that he was that he was a professor of history is deduction on my part, and it's it's not beyond con- contesting.
0: What made you decide the Confederate side?
2: The fact that he that he is so emphatically Southern.
0: Hmm. I didn't see him particularly emphatically Southern, but that may be my <laughs> reading of it
2: interesting that you put him in Europe for so long.
1: An audience member asks what huck uh, assumes is Tarzan's birth year. Uh, you may or may not know there's a little bit of controversy over that.
2: 1888. November 1888, just as Burroughs said. I'm not one of these 72 people. Push Even
0: back.
2: that that's a different argument (laughs) the argument
1: argument is about korak's age how could he be serving in world war one if uh tarzan and jane first met in like 1909 but uh I'll save that myself for a future episode of Dateline Jesuit. And how old was Tarzan supposed to be when he, when he meets James? Twenty. So he's just a year or two older.
2: Right. Yeah, that's right, because she's like 18, right? 19. So she would be? She born. would have been born in, in late 89 or, or early 90. So the events take place
0: in 1909?
2: February 1909 is the date on her letter to Hazel Straw.
0: How old was the mother at that
2: time? The mother would if she were alive would probably have been about forty
0: so you're assuming she was about 20 when she has the child
2: right why? because that was the age at which most people had kids in those days
0: not all not all no my my, all. Grandmother, I have a my grandmother my grandmother was forty when my dad was born she
2: was forty my grandmother was forty when my dad was born. But she'd had so she'd had seven others before she that. She'd had seven other kids before that. Yeah, But others didn't. Yeah, there are there are late late bloomers even in you know Maybe two three hundred years ago.
0: Maybe Jane was her first child. So oh, I think she's a we're only we're, child. we're
2: never told of any brothers or sisters. But in that
0: generation you can be an only child because all the sibs that preceded yeah. died. That's true. true. So when he's off gold mm-hmm. prospecting, does he like bicep the general
2: store with John Carter or? Yeah, I thought well, th- that's where you were going, like, if you have him gold
0: Yeah, products. I wondered about that. Was he prospecting
2: with John Carter? Yeah. yeah. He could have been in the Austrian army with John Carter also. Except that John Carter was was made it John Carter made it all the way to Arizona. Yeah. He didn't get captured on the Mexican border. Mm-hmm. The party the split up.
1: I like that bit about John Carter and Professor Porter crossing paths somehow in their pasts. So, good job, Huck.
0: Where? the lender? He wandered up shore. He could look out for himself. I do. I hope. Don't be too sure about Philander. He is as helpless as a child. Why, the number of times I've had to look out for him. Uh, He's a regular old fossil sometimes. Hey! Hey! What's the matter? There have been people here before us. Just like Philander. Of course there have. Hadn't I told you that the theory of the land of the two rivers being the cradle of civilization is erroneous? Hadn't I always maintained that here in Africa lived the prehistoric man? Listen to me, Professor Archimedes-Tewporter. I'm not talking about prehistoric man. I'm talking
1: about a hut. (laughs) A hut.
0: If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. Thank you very much.
1: No, thank you, Carl Sagan. Besides listening to X-1, I've also been watching Cosmos. That's going to do it for show number 20. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Huck for his presentation at the ECOF. Uh, thanks to the Podsafe Music Network and uh, all the usual suspects. And I will talk to you in two weeks. This is Elmo from the Barsoomian Blade Bureau in Chicago, signing off. <laughs>
0: Mini Bears 24, Giants 14.